take our Bibles and go to John chapter 11, and if you're visiting with us, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can reach for the Bible that's right in front of you. Uh, If you need help finding the Gospel of John, that's on page 897 in the Bibles that have been provided for you. We want to definitely welcome all of our visitors here today and those of you watching online from all over the world. I'm Jeremiah Johnson. I have the privilege to be one of your pastors. And today, we are looking at a message that has transformed my own heart and life. And I've learned even more this week in my study that I look forward to share with you what, how the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in this passage. I have a podcast um, that we have done about 80 shows that are an hour long each, where I answer a lot of the difficult, unanswered questions, and I ask other Christian thinkers to join with me from time to time. And I had Professor J.P. Moreland join me recently on one of our broadcasts. And we were geeking out, church family, on this subject of scientism, this, um, this dogma of scientism that cancels out miraculous and a biblical worldview. But I have a thing that I do with all of my guests who join me on our podcast. No matter what the subject is, I always ask at the end of the broadcast, right before we close, if you have an unanswered question for God, what would you ask God right now if you could ask him any question at all? And the answers are always fascinating. Now, J.P. Moreland is one of the top 50 most influential philosophers in the world. He's contributed to over 100 books. He's one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers I've ever met. But at a, mo- at a moment of incredible vulnerability, his voice changes on the, on the broadcast, and he says, you know, Jeremiah, I would ask God, why don't you show up in my life more when I think it would be in your best interest to show up in my life? And he said, I have a genetic predisposition to anxiety and to depression. And he said, I, in fact, I inherited on, from my mom's side of the family. I've had two nervous breakdowns, and I just take solace in the fact that of the 2,451 psalms in the book of Psalms, 30% of those psalms are prayers of lament. God, where are you? God, why are you not showing up in my life when I think it would be in your best interest to show up? And you know, that has me thinking about our own life as we open up John chapter 11. And I want you to make sure that you have this passage out. Let me use this one. Thank you. Um, I want you to have this passage out because... Friends, do you notice this always happens when I preach at Prestonwood? I normally don't say anything, but my mic always goes out. I don't know. Um, anyways, John chapter 11, I want to point to three different verses that are so important as we think about, God, I just wish you'd show up in my life. I think it'd be in your best interest to do that. As we open John chapter 11, this is the last public miracle of the ministry in the life of Jesus. And we've been doing this micro-series with our pastor, which he'll continue next week in this very passage, where we look at the seven signs of John's gospel. As I mentioned last time I preached, the first 12 chapters are actually called the book of signs in the gospel of John. There's not only seven signs, but you Bible students will remember, there are seven I am statements. And what I love about this passage, and I'm going to set the table for Dr. Graham next week, we see some very realistic questions that followers of Jesus are willing to ask him at their moment of greatest need. 
John chapter 11, I want you first to look with me at verse 21. Verse 21, Martha runs out to visit the Lord, and she said, Lord, if only you would have been here. Lord, if only you would have shown up, my brother would not have died. Now, it's interesting, this is the same Martha and Mary who are mentioned in Luke chapter 10. Again, pause on that if only. Look at verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, this is Mary's sister Martha. I can see in my mind's eye that they are distraught. As we'll see, their brother Lazarus has died. Jesus delayed his coming. We're not given an explanation why, but this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible does not hide us from authentic human narrative. If we were inventing the story about super Christians in this passage, we wouldn't tell it this way. Little sister Mary goes to see Jesus. Look at verse 32 of John chapter 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you see the sisters have the same question for Jesus? If only you would have shown up in my life, this tragedy would not have occurred. It doesn't end there. In fact, remember Jesus, as we learned last week from our pastor, in John chapter 9, had healed a blind man in Jerusalem. He ends up having to flee. If we set up the context for this passage, Jesus has to flee. This is John 10, verse 38, to the end of the chapter, because they want to execute Jesus because of these miracles, these signs. Look at verse 37. Again, so the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them, verse 37, said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You know, many of us are not here today because we need a physical miracle, but we're here today. We need an emotional, spiritual miracle in our heart and life. Some of us, if we got really honest with the Lord, and that's the great thing, we can. He knows us anyways, we would probably be brutally honest and say there's some if only question I have in my life that is causing me spiritual and mental paralysis. Now, you may look great from the outside this morning, but inside you're saying, I need a miracle, Lord. Lord, if only you had shown up in my life. You know, we all, in all transparency, I want to ask you, when is the last time you admitted something to God like J.P. Moreland? God, I wish you would have just shown up in my life when I thought it would have been in your best interests. If only he hadn't stepped out in front of that car. Maybe you've thought this in your mind. If only she had worked a bit harder and not failed on her exam. If only a different president had been elected the last time around. If only we had decided to not go on holiday or vacation that week. And whatever it is, you know that sickening sense of wanting to turn the clock back. If that's you, and let me tell you, it was me at one time. The Bible in John chapter 11 has a beautiful antidote for that very real question. I hope you'll follow along with me. The central truth of John chapter 11 is as follows. Jesus would like us to replace our if-onlys with if 
Jesus. I want to encourage you to write that down. You probably have someone in your life right now in this outline, God's going to use you to share it with them. In fact, Jesus wants you to live by if Jesus, not if only. If Jesus, not if only. And this, was, this is the message of John chapter 11. So how do we do that? I'm a big immediate next steps guy. And so I have gone verse by verse for you. And let me guide you by the hand through some of the highlights of this passage so I can share with you what has worked in my own life. Because um, as a brother in Christ and as one of the pastors who serve you, I can share with you I have had several if only thoughts in my life things that are unexplainable, things I just demand an explanation from God. And this is what the Holy Spirit has taught me. Please take notes with me if you can. There are seven reasons why we can replace our if-onlys with if-Jesus straight from the book of John's Gospel, chapter 11. Number one, I can replace my if-onlys with if-Jesus, or I can live by if-Jesus instead of if-only, because I realize, according to the scriptures, even the closest friends of Jesus experience pain and adversity. You know, there's something about when we experience trauma that can be so isolating. Have you noticed that? Trauma, addiction, challenges, emotional instability, deals that didn't come through, things that didn't pan out, un you know, broken promises, they isolate us. And I find it fascinating that many of God's people, if they were brutally honest, would say, you know, I feel like Jesus had forgotten me. Lord, are you there? God, where are you in my life? Psalm 42 and 43. Even the closest friends of Jesus experience pain and anxiety. Look at the first five verses of John chapter 11 with me. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Don't confuse this with the Lazarus of Luke 16. This is the only place Lazarus is mentioned. His name is mentioned 11 times in chapters 11 and 12. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was this Mary, John wants to set it up, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. John wants you to know these are some of the most devoted followers of Jesus. You remember that scene when Mary takes the alabaster ointment and she washes Jesus' feet before he's crucified? And remember it revealed what was in Judas Iscariot's heart? We could have sold this, and then Jesus, of course, has to rebuke him. It's that Mary. These are devoted followers of Jesus. They don't have some sin in their life that's causing a sickness, as we learned last week from our pastor's teaching. No, these, are, these were friends of Jesus, Verse three, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, and then if you don't miss this, make sure you see it again repeated. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You know what's fascinating to me? The scriptures show us that we come to know God better in our trials. It really takes the testing to show the metal of our faith. Have you noticed that? I think often of Charles Spurgeon, 
and that fascinating statement that he made because he had a wife who was sick in bed, truly an invalid for, the, for 10 of the most fruitful years of his ministry. His wife could not join him in participating. Fascinatingly, one night he's sitting in the bedroom with his wife, the fire is crackling, and he wrote this down in his prayer diary. It takes the fire to bring out the music. And that's what it takes with our faith. Have you noticed that? We come to know God better in our trials. When the New Testament addresses the problem of evil, suffering, and pain, I want you to know the kind of message we receive is not generally a miraculous escape from pain. Make no mistake. Instead, the New Testament always, and make sure you don't miss this, affirms the presence of Jesus every time we face trials and tribulations. Jesus is there with us. He does not leave us and he does not forsake us. You know, there's this passage that I want to remind you of that is a mere passage of these if-only questions in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You remember what Romans 8, 28 says? God causes all things, how many things? All things to work together for good to those that love God and to the called according to his purpose. Now, I love the NIV rendering of that passage because all things that we experience in life are not good, amen? We experience a lot of bad stuff. We see the imprint of sin and the great catastrophe from Genesis 3, the fall of mankind being worked out all around us. But the promise that we can hold on to this morning, if we follow Jesus Christ, God will cause even the terrible things that have occurred in our life to work together for our good and his glory. That's the power of this message. So I want you to know, if you feel isolated, please know that some of Jesus' closest friends also experienced suffering and pain. Number two, why can I live, why can I replace my if-onlys with because of Jesus or if Jesus. Number two, because Jesus is resourceful because he is the source. You know, we have a lot of resources, but do you know that we all have one source and his name is Jesus Christ? God brings a lot of different resources from time to time in our life, but God is the source of everything. He's the source, as we're gonna see, of life itself. Now, I want you to pay attention to verse three, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he who you love is sick. Now, I want you to notice something, and you can take comfort in this. Do you notice they do not even invite Jesus to come to Bethany? All they said was, Lord, the one who is ill, the one who you love is very ill. It's fascinating to me that sisters, they're probably very aware that if Jesus returns, to Bethany, which again, make sure you get the place in your mind. This is two miles east of the eastern wall of Jerusalem. So it's just over the Mount of Olives. We could walk there today. If we were in the land of Israel on the Mount of Olives, you can walk there faster than you can drive there. It's that close to Jerusalem. The sisters likely had heard that they tried to stone Jesus last time he was in town. So they don't even ask him to come. In fact, they don't even say the name of their brother. They just said, Lord, the one that, is, that you love is sick. They don't even tell him what to do. I love this. You know, it's amazing. No matter what we're facing today in our life, and look me in the eyes when I tell you this, 
No matter what you're facing today, Jesus knows all about it. And when we bring our need before him, you don't have to be God's COO. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to be his chief of staff. You don't have to specify the ways and the means of how he can work a miracle in your life. He knows what he's doing. God's got this, amen? And he'll take care of you. Jesus is resourceful because he is the source. I wanna remind you of a great worldview statement of Romans 8, 28, of John chapter 11, Psalm 42 and 43, these great passages that show what happens when we face trials. No, there is, when I walk with Jesus Christ, now this is a promise only for followers of Jesus. So if you haven't made your decision for Christ yet, this is not a promise that you can claim yet. But if you are walking in obedience to Jesus Christ, if you are saved through the blood of Christ, the promise of Romans 8.28 says there is no situation where God cannot work for his good in my life. In every situation, God will accomplish his good in the lives of his children. You say, Jeremiah, that's hard to hear. You know, I've shared their story with you before. I won't share it again, but I close my book, Unimaginable, What the World Would Be Like Without Christianity, with the story of Dan and Lynn Wagner who lost all of their children in a single car wreck coming home from an evangelistic rally. You probably remember me sharing that story with you. There's one line I didn't share with you when I gave you that message, that illustration. When I was interviewing Dan and Lynn Wagner who go to a great Baptist church in Santa Cruz, California, Dan said, Jeremiah, we have learned through the pain of losing all of our children in an accident, we are not living God's plan B for our lives. This was God's plan A all along. What a statement of faith. And that one statement stunned me, it arrested my heart. And you know what that tells me? Romans 8.28 promises me, I'm living God's plan A for my life right now. He will cause all things to work together for good in my life when I follow him. Why else can we replace our if-onlys with if-Jesus? How can we replace this um, let's live by if-Jesus, not if-only? Number three, make no mistake because the God of the Bible does not play games with us. Yet I wanna remind you, this is a theological tune-up this morning. Have you noticed God's ways are not my ways? God's ways are not our ways. Look at verse six. This is fascinating to me. Jesus is away. He's 20 miles away on the other side of the Jordan River. Verse six. So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, do you see what the next line says? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Friends, how do you explain that? Why does Jesus not immediately to whatever it takes to get back to these devoted followers whom he loves. In fact, in 11.6, he waits two days to even tell the disciples who are living with him about the news of the messenger. What happens in that 48 hours, we don't know, but the sisters wanna know. They want an explanation from God. God, where are you? God doesn't play games with us. His ways are not our ways. He didn't even send the messenger back and say, tell the sisters I'm on my way. No explanation is given. And so this is a reminder to me that I can run to Jesus 
when I want an explanation. But you know what? I better be ready to be surprised by the answer. Because you know what I've noticed, and I've been walking with Christ since I was seven years of age. Jesus does not give us explanations when we struggle. Jesus gives us a greater revelation of himself. When you read the book of Job, does God ever give Job an answer? He just keeps showing God, Job how great he is. You know what? God can show you how great he is in your life too if you'll let him. We don't faith, as the great thinker Wearsby said, no one had faith in explanations in the word of God. They all had faith in God's promises. You know, if you're hurt and you need surgery, you may or may not get an explanation about why that injury occurred or why this body part broke down, but you live on the promise of healing, that a medicinal healing is coming or surgery, a corrective action. So an explanation is really not what you're looking for this morning. You're looking for God to give a greater revelation of himself in your life. Number four, let's keep going. Now this is interesting. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and now you want to go back there? Are you out of your mind, Jesus? Jesus answered. Now, this is a puzzling proverb. I'm going to share it in a few seconds. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Do you know what this proverb means? When you walk in the light of God's will for your life, nothing can stop you apart from God's permission. So my question is for you today, are you living in the center of God's will for your life? I love this. Point number four, why can I replace my if-onlys with if-Jesus? When I am in the center of God's will for my life, I am protected no matter what. Jesus gives this parable. I'm walking in Jerusalem. I know you might think it's a suicide mission. I am walking in the power of the light of God's will for my life. Nothing can stop me. And do you know that that is a proverb you can claim when you know you're living at the center of God's will for your life as well? It's a powerful passage. Number five, here's another great point of why I can live on the hope of if Jesus instead of if only. The Christian lives and dies in hope. Death is now no more than sleep, and there is nothing to fear. Let me tell you, every one of us are gonna die. We can't control when, and we can't control how. So we better be ready, amen? We better be ready to see the Lord. The Christian lives and dies in hope. This is number five, so death is now no more than sleep, and there is nothing to fear. Look at John 11, verse 11. His disciples still are not getting it. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has what? Fallen, say it out loud, asleep. Do you know 14 times in the New Testament a believer's death is described, are you ready for this? is falling asleep. Now, some of you fall asleep really easy. You're sleeping right now. You just don't know it. The transition of a believer into the presence of Jesus is immediate. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in face-to-face -face communion. 
It's koimao in Greek. Literally, it's the same word that koimaterion, cemetery, comes from. It's dormitories. Death for the believer is as peaceful as falling asleep. Isn't that powerful? Throughout the ancient world, the fear of death was universal. Even universal, it was a grim prospect in all of the pagan religions of the time that Christianity um, came to be. But Jesus' resurrection changed, and there is now no more fear of death for the believer whatsoever. He describes Lazarus as sleeping. And then I love this. He says, I go to waken him. Don't you love how Jesus teaches so simply so we can understand it? I have two final points about why we can replace our if-onlys with if-Jesus. This is number six. Let's go down to verse 16. This is a very important passage. Then Jesus said to them plainly, they're still not getting it. Verse 14, Lazarus has died. Because they're like, hey, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. They don't need you. No, you're not understanding it. Lazarus has died. Now, by the way, do you see Jesus' omniscience? No one else has brought a message to Jesus other than that Lazarus was ill. And yet Jesus knows through his divine omniscience, that means, if you've never heard that term, that means that Jesus knows everything actual and possible. There's nothing he ever learned. He knows it all. So Jesus is aware without anyone telling him that his, the one he loves, Lazarus, has died. Verse 16, so Thomas, or excuse me, back up to verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that he was not there, so that you may believe. Again, we see that there is a strengthening of faith through these miracles. By the way, a parenthetical note, God will strengthen your faith through whatever trial he brings in your life, if you let him. Some of us, we've buried our pain so deeply, we've not addressed it, and the beautiful thing is, God is not wanting to bring perfection to you, but God is wanting to bring freedom to you. He wants to set you free. I'm glad, so that you may believe. You mean Jeremiah, were Jesus' disciples not really believing Christians? Of course they were, but their faith needed to grow, just like yours and mine. And these trials would increase their faith. But let us go to him. Now look at verse 16. Thomas Didymus, it means Thomas the twin, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You think, man, what a downer of a statement. But you know what? I want to share something about Thomas because I think he gets a bad rap. Thomas illustrates for us what true faith looks like, and it's point number six of what you can take home today. Faith equals trusting God through the uncertainty. Faith never equals certainty. It always equals trusting God through the uncertainty. Thomas looked death in the faith face. He knew they had just tried to kill Jesus, so certainly they're gonna be on watch for his return. And listen to me closely. Thomas chooses to die with Jesus rather than to live a life apart from Jesus. Are you willing to make that same decision, God? I'm gonna follow you no matter what because I'd rather die with you than live a life apart from you, God. That's what Thomas expresses. And you know what, Thomas also shows us, hey, 
The only way to know where you're going in life, if you need to know the will of God for your life, is to follow Jesus, amen? That's the only way to know where I'm going, is to follow him. Make sure we understand that faith, and Thomas evidences this, he doesn't necessarily know what's gonna happen to him, but he's willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost. It's not if only, it's Jesus, I'm gonna follow you because you're in control. Finally, number seven, we see illustrated this dynamic passage. Remember, Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She runs out to meet him. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, pay attention, Martha has an excellent Christology and theology. She has a great biblical worldview, and yet she's still hurting, and she's still asking Jesus why. Mary said to him, I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day, but Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That brings us to our final point of trusting God with if Jesus, not our if onlys. Faith is never what I feel. Martha evidences it for us the best. Faith is what I believe. Faith is not what I feel. Faith is what I believe. I am sure that Martha's emotions were all out of sorts on thin ice when she saw Jesus. After all, her brother had now been dead four days. And as you'll see next week, you couldn't be more dead in the Jewish context. You know, we're so masked from the power of death in our day and age, so much so that, um, you know, we don't even understand what happens to the body in death after four days. So this is a true miracle. And yet he challenges Martha at her greatest point of need. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? And this is where he challenges Martha, as uncomfortable as it may be, to exchange her if-onlys with if-Jesus. Jesus, I do believe this, she says. And she says this, yes, I believe you are the Christ. I believe you are the Son of God who is coming into the world. And that changes everything for Jesus. So this morning, as we close our service, are you willing to express faith and remember, how do you do it? Faith is taking God at his word. Are you willing to take God at his word? I'm gonna leave you hanging. If you've never heard this story, what happens to Lazarus? You can read on about it. I wanna leave you with the tension of being willing to be in that spot where Martha is, where she says, Jesus said, look, the resurrection isn't some doctrine that we talk about it in seminary, Resurrection is a person, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? There is nothing that has life apart from the power of Jesus Christ. And certainly, he can call one back from the dead. You know, it's fascinating to me, these I am statements. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine, it's not just a future fact, friends. It is a person that you can trust right now no matter what you're going through. Jesus gives the, the beautiful statement, I am the bread of life. And do you remember what he does in his signs? He then feeds the multitude, John 6. 
Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. And then as we saw last week, he heals a man born blind. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then we're gonna see next week what he does with Lazarus. You know, it's fascinating to me though, as we close, faith is being willing to take God at his word. And this is that tense moment where we need to develop biblical skills, biblical coping mechanisms, and I want you to leave here with the tools of being able to not look with regret at some if only situation, but I wanna challenge you, whatever that trigger situation is, know that he can turn that trigger into a triumph because I can live in the truth of if Jesus, not if only. Just like Mary and Martha learned, we can learn that too. Will you bow your heads and pray with me as we go to God in our invitation? Lord, we couldn't possibly close this service without praying for every person here. Lord, when we have a time of worship like this, we know that there are many needs represented in a congregation of this size and those watching online. Father, we wanna pray right now for everyone here who has been paralyzed with some need, <coughs> some area in their life where, Lord, they're living in the lie of the if only, as if you didn't show up in that moment. Or perhaps they're living, Father, um, in the trauma of a terrible, sinful experience. And Lord, I'm praying that today they're willing to give that trauma, that tragedy, that trigger, whatever it may be to you, and say, Lord, I'm no longer going to live in the if only. I'm going to turn this over and live by if Jesus. Jesus, if you are the resurrection and the life, and we believe you are, we believe you can give life to the dead parts of our past. You can give life to, the, to those of us today who feel dead inside. You can call us back and say, here, come to me. Father, this is a special time of invitation, and I wanna pray that our people would right now join me in praying for everyone on their, on their row that is sitting with them. Pray for the people around you. Lord, we just sense the power of your Holy Spirit here. Some of us have bought into the lie that um, we're a second-rate Christian because of the pain we've experienced. And Lord, when we see that Mary and Martha and Lazarus also experience pain, even being so devoted, it reminds us that you've not forgotten us. Help us to flex our muscle of faith and believe better. Increase our faith, Lord, and make us whole. I'm gonna invite you to stay in a spirit of prayer and stand with me. Would you just stand with me right now and just stay in a spirit of prayer? No one moving unnecessarily in this time of decision. What is causing you to say, if only? Lord, if I only, if you just, Lord, if you would have been there, I wouldn't have got this diagnosis. Or Lord, if you would have, if you would have been there, this, this wouldn't have happened. Some of you have bought into the lie that somehow you're living plan B. Let me tell you, with Jesus, we're always living plan A. He can return the years the locusts have eaten. Now, some of you are here and you can't claim this promise yet because you've not done the one thing that you need to do. Your sin's been dealt with on the cross 2,000 years ago, paid for through the precious blood of Jesus, dying in your place, Make sure you're not so religious you miss the truth of the grace of God. You can't do anything to save yourself except receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and him alone through what he already did for you on the cross. 
And you know what? The second that you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior, you can immediately claim this promise of Genesis 50, 19, and 20, that what Satan has meant for evil in your life, God can turn it for good. So today, are you willing to turn to your neighbor and say, excuse me, find your way to the nearest aisle. I'm gonna invite our pastors to be standing, ready to receive you. We'll not embarrass you. We'll not single you out, but we will have a time to lead you to Jesus Christ. Others of you, you've joined our church or you'd like to join, your, join our church. Um, listen, that's the greatest decision you can make is to join the Prestonwood family. Come down that aisle and say, by coming, we're joining into the fellowship of this church also. In a message like this, we need some spiritual CPR. If you need prayer about perhaps something that's caused you to live in the paralysis of an if only, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you for joining us for worship at Prestonwood. As you heard earlier, if you made a decision for Christ, please text Jesus to 74788. We would love to connect with you and give you these great resources to help you grow in your faith. One is a New Believer's Bible with helpful notes to help you study God's Word. The other is a book by Pastor Jack Graham on the next steps to take as you pursue this new life in Christ. As we close, I'd like to thank you for your faithful giving to support Prestonwood and the work God is doing through our ministries. If you would like to give, text the word GIVE to 74788 or visit prestonwood.org give. It's been a joy worshiping with you, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.